Y'all be seated as our pastor comes. We couldn't sing that song without crying back after Hurricane Katrina. I guess we cried on everything, didn't we, people that were here? <laughs> we just cried about everything. One of the deacons said, my tears are right here all the time. Just takes a little something, they tumble out. And we've experienced that again with, with little Graham going in the water, nearly drowning. But God is so good. He is so faithful. He's a miracle-working God to us, and we are just full of gratitude today. I'm in Matthew 28 talking about the Great Commission. If you've not heard of the Great Commission before, it is how we style at the word we give to the charge from Jesus to take the gospel to the nations. And I'm going to read it from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. A very familiar passage, although it's found in other places in the Bible, the other gospels as well as the book of Acts in different forms. And the scripture says here, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, the Great Commission. I don't want to burden you with something else to do. You've got lots to do. You're busy people. I know that. And sometimes you worry you'll get in the church and a preacher's going to put a guilt trip on you for, do it, for lacking something else that you've got to do. It reminds me of the coffee cup I drank from this morning. A green coffee cup Janet pulled out of the cupboard and gave to me. I looked at it and it had these words on it. God has put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now I'm so far behind I will never die. <laughs> I get that feeling, don't you? Sometimes I feel so far behind, I'm never going to get to all the certain things God has for me to do. So we don't want to burden you with all kinds of things, but we do want to say to you this morning that all power is in the God who's called us to deliver his word to the nations, that we have the power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Jesus said. I've been thinking about power ever since they built a forest of wind turbines around our little farm in Texas. I drive up there now, there's there are wind turbines going up, they're over 300 feet tall, and they're going to spin electricity into the grid. I was reading here recently about many hydro plants. Have you ever heard of one of these? 
many hydro plants that people are developing out in the hinterland. Environmentalists and people who are, or entrepreneurs are going out there and they're buying these old turbines and they're redoing them and setting them uh, in the creeks and the streams that flow in the Rockies and the Appalachian Mountains. And they used to have these uh, generators, these hydro generators uh, around the country and they kind of fell into disuse. They're making a strong comeback. They tell us there's over 200 of them now in the country. And they are many because they produce less than a megawatt of power in a year. But they're not so many that they're not worth messing with. Some of them, you can get $20,000 a month for the electricity they generate from these streams that tumble down the mountains. They're just like the Grand Coulee Dam in a way. I went to see the Grand Coulee. I just had my mouth open the whole time. Couldn't believe it. The Columbia River, roll on, Columbia, roll on. I don't know if you ever heard about the Columbia River. It drops faster than any river in the world. And they built the Grand Coulee Dam on it, but they don't use these little turbines in there. They got a turbine in the Grand Coulee Dam. Show us that next picture. That is a turbine. You see the people on top of it? They're dropping the turbine in the Grand Coulee Dam. There's a number of these turbines in that same dam. This dam generates an enormous amount of electricity. But I just want to show us that uh, little, uh, little one. There it is. That is one of those mini hydros. Not exactly the Grand Coulee, right? But you know, all over God's planet, there's power flowing in the creeks and in the wind. And that power is particularly sun-generated. This energy comes from the sun. The sun lifts the water up to the mountains and into the clouds, and it drops down and it charges toward the sea. And as it does so, it creates this energy that we capture. So it's sun energy. Most of the energy in the world is generated by the sun. If I read the article correctly, scientists now estimate that in our galaxy, there are 8 billion stars that are similar to the sun. Did you read that? In size and how they appear and in their nature. 8 billion in our galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies. It blows my mind to think about the amount of power in this universe. Not just in the world, but in the universe. Think of the power. And behind it all is God. God is the source of all power. So when Jesus, who knows the Father fully and perfectly, says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, he is stating what he knows to be true, what is accessible to him, and what he intends to deliver to us as we carry the gospel to the nations. I want to have the heart of Jesus as I go out to share the gospel. I know I will need his power. He promises me that power when he says, all power is given unto me. It is the word exousia in this passage, the word for formal power. There is another word, dunamis, from which we get dynamite. But here it is that formal power. It is the Father delivering to the Son this formal power in the universe, in all the world, heaven and earth, to accomplish the mission for which he commissions us. And then at the end of the passage, we have the guarantee of his presence. At the beginning of the Great Commission, the guarantee of his power. At the end of the Great Commission, the guarantee of his presence. Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Wherever you are in the historical timeline, wherever you are geographically, the presence of Christ is there as you deliver his word to the nations. And this is what is on the heart of Jesus. Lord, give us your heart. 
the heart of Jesus as he stands on the planet about to ascend to the Father is, I want the nations to know. I want the nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples in all nations. Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. Luke says, repentance and forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in all the world, and then will the end come. John says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And the book of Acts says, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so five times in the New Testament, we have this challenge from Jesus as he stands on the very edge of the ascension to go into the world and preach the gospel to the nation. That's what is on his heart. He wants every human being, every person breathing, every beating heart to know the good news of forgiveness in Christ. He wants everyone to know. And he leaves his church here on the planet with the commission, go tell them. Spread the word everywhere you go. Make disciples. Let them know. Let the whole world know. Preach the gospel to every creature. That's what's on the heart of Jesus. That's his heart as he prepares to ascend and his heart today that everyone may know the good news. Not everybody even knows the name of Jesus. I have met people who never heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine it? They don't know the word church. They don't know the word Bible. They do not know. And we are called by our Lord to share the gospel with him. This is what is on his heart. What is on the heart of the disciples? Well, the disciples are a little confused, okay? When they saw him, some worshiped him, and some doubted. Some doubted. I mean, it says it right there. Matthew records it, but some doubted. Some are still thinking, wow, can this be? Can people, can Jesus have been raised from the dead? It just boggles their mind, just like it boggles your mind. It affects them the same way it affects you. You've never seen it before. They'd never seen it before. How can this be? So they're in that mode, some of them. They're still wondering what's going on, what's happened, how can this be? There's some of them that are worried about the end of time. Jesus gives this glorious introduction to the Great Commission, and the disciples have a question for him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time when we're going to take over the world and the kingdom of Israel is going to rule the earth? Is this the time for the end of the age? Is that what we're talking about here? And Jesus gives them a rebuke. He's trying to prepare them for the world and the witness. And they're worried about the times and the seasons. And he says to them in Acts chapter 1, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know, James, John, and Peter. And it's not for you to know, brother and sister, the times and the seasons which the Father has set by his own authority. It's a rebuke to the disciples whose heart is somewhere else. They're thinking about something else. And Jesus draws them back. He says, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about the time or the season. Is Jesus coming back? Absolutely. He's coming back one day. I believe in the physical, visible return of Jesus to the earth. They watched him go up. And the two men in white said, why are you gazing into heaven as he goes up? The same Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. That's verse 11 of Acts chapter 1. He's coming back just like you saw him go. 
So don't be worried. He's coming back, and I believe that. I don't believe that human beings are going to self-destruct. I don't believe history is going to come to a sad and empty conclusion. I believe instead what the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return, invade human history, and bring it to its proper conclusion in himself. And you don't have to worry about the end time. There's so many scary movies about the end time. There's so many people predicting so many scary things about the end time. Jesus is going to bring everything to its proper conclusion. He's going to complete human history like it needs to be. He's coming back one day. I'm looking forward to it. It affects how I live in the world. It affects how I behave, the things I do. I'm working like a guy who's got his eye on the horizon. I'm watching for Jesus to come back. He said, be aware. Keep your head up. Your redemption's drawn nigh. Keep looking for me. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. Amen? I'm looking for Jesus to come back. He's going to return one day. This same Jesus. So that's how I live my life. It's a very positive, hopeful way to look at the world, and it's the way God says we're supposed to. We're looking for Jesus. That's who we're looking for. Having said that, we don't know the times or the seasons. So what am I doing in the meantime? Not trying to guess, not trying to make charts, not trying to figure out what I cannot know. I'm delivering the witness to the world. I'm taking the gospel to the nations. If I do that, then my heart is like the heart of Jesus. Here's a prayer for you. Lord, burden my heart with the things that burden your heart. Let my heart have the same burden that your heart has. It's time to pray. As individuals and as a church, as the corporate body of Christ, we want to make sure that we're intentional about prayer and the power that prayer has and that we're intentional about those things that we know are God's heart and that he's put on our heart about bringing those before him in prayer. Um, on the right side, my right, of every pew, on the aisle of every pew, there's a stack of green cards. If you're on the end of a pew, if you will take the stack, every person in the room needs um, three cards. And you guys may have to kind of work together. Y'all don't distribute yourselves evenly throughout the room, so you may have to, to work with the pews ahead of you and behind you to get the cards. But everybody in the room needs to have three of these green cards. As we get ready to do this prayer exercise, we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to participate. As we're intentional about how we pray, these cards are designed for you to add to the prayer ring that many of you received at the uh, ministry fair in August. If you don't have one of those, you can pick one up um, at the end of the service in the foyer. There's a table. Um, or you can just stick it in your Bible, put it on your nightstand. The purpose is for us to be intentional about praying for those things that are on God's heart, praying for those things he's put on our hearts. So the first card I want you to, to think about international missions. And I want you to write a prayer prompt for yourself based on international missions. Are there specific missionaries that you know personally um, that are out on the field that you want to make sure that you're intentional about praying for? Do you want to be intentional about praying for our Songhai ministry? Are you passionate about 
the Songhai ladies or the Onion Boys or the missionaries, Gomer and Mustafa? What is it that God's prompting you and desiring for you to be intentional about? And that's a neat thing about the body of Christ is that um, as we each write down the individual things that we want to pray for, we're covering so many things in prayer and tapping into that power that God has that he wants to unleash on the world. So on the first card, write yourself an international prompt, something that will prompt you to pray for international missions. On the second card that you have, I want you to think about local missions. I want you to think about our city and all the things that go on in this city every day, all the needs, all the hurts. I want you to think about our Care Effect ministries and, and how we're reaching out in those various ways. Is there a Care Effect ministry that you need to be intentional about praying for? Is there a situation in this city that God's really burdening, burdening your heart for, the homeless, public schools, whatever it is that you want to be intentional about praying for? Write that on your card. The third thing that we want you to think about today is your personal mission. God's got you in a job. He's got you in a school. He's got you in a neighborhood. What is he doing there that he wants you to be aware of? What is he doing there that he wants you to be prayerful about? Is there an individual in your life? Is there a ministry or a project in your life that he wants you to constantly have on your heart? It's on his heart, and he wants it on your heart. What is it in your personal life, your personal ministry? Write that on the third card. God, we are so thankful for all that you're doing around us, all that you're doing in and through us. God, we're thankful for your power and your love and your mercy that's poured out throughout the world. And God, we pray that as a body of believers, we would be actively engaged in what you're doing through our prayers that we would have on our hearts. God, what is on your heart? Taking the message of what you've done for us through Jesus to the ends of the earth, Father, whether it's around the globe or right here in our community. God, let it always be on our hearts, and God, let the, the prayer in our heart always be on our lips. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the calling that you've placed on us as a body, and I thank you for the calling that we have as individuals, the different things that you're doing in each person's life. God, help us to be faithful um, to what you have for us, Father. We thank you and praise you for who you are, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The heart of Jesus is in the Great Commission, 
but so were the hands, the hands of Jesus. In fact, those hands are mentioned in one of the uh, accounts of the Great Commission. The hands of Jesus, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. He lifted his hands and blessed them. It was the hands of Jesus that he called Thomas's attention to. He said, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your finger there. And don't be faithless, but believe. You remember the story of the road to Emmaus where those two disciples were so amazed at the words of the stranger that joined them. And he walked with them for some time, and then he broke bread with them, and he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They saw his hands. Hands can help or hands can hurt. Hands can give or hands can take. The hands of Jesus are amazing. Somebody said that the nail scars in the hands of Jesus will be the only human thing, the only human mark, the only thing that humans have done in heaven. The scars in the hands of Jesus. They knew him because they saw his hands. You remember when Isaac, the old man, wanted to identify his son. Isaac was blind. He was old. Jacob and Esau were fighting, these twins, and they were scheming toward one another, and Jacob had figured out a way to steal the blessing from his brother Esau, who was about 30 seconds older than he was, and therefore the oldest child was going to get the blessing. So Jacob dresses up and goes in and pretends that he's Esau in the presence of his old blind father, Isaac. And Isaac hears Jacob's voice, and he's not sure that it's Esau. I'm Esau, your son, Jacob says to his blind father. And Isaac's not sure. And so he says to his son, give me your hands. I want to touch your hands. And the blind man believes the hands over the voice. What if you get to heaven? And instead of all your words, God asks to see your hands. What do your hands look like? What have you been doing with those hands? The hands of Jesus were giving hands. They stretched out to bless the people around him touch the leper and heal him, to deliver food to those who are hungry. Those are the hands of Jesus. Your hands can bless, and Jesus blessed with his hands. If we follow him, we will bless with our hands too. It is said of the virtuous woman in Psalm 31 that she stretched out her hands to bless those in need. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, He's anticipating that his followers will stretch out their hands to bless the world. They will stretch out their hands in giving. Jesus gave with these hands. He gave all that he had. In fact, the nail prints in the hands are a symbol of how much he gave. And our hands, too, in the act of giving, 
communicate to those around us and to the God we love just what we consider important, who we are, and what we're doing on the planet. In the teachings of Jesus, pray and give are the two fundamental spiritual disciplines that every person should participate in. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about prayer, and he talks about giving. Prayer and giving, they're intertwined. They are twin spiritual disciplines. Often where you find the one, you find the other. If a person is a real person of prayer, then they'll also be a person who gives, who stretches out their hands. Something about the heart is changed as we pray. These two intertwined disciplines, prayer and giving, are wonderful in that every single person in the family of God, every person in the body of believers can both pray and give. Nobody's left out here. Nobody's shortchanged. Nobody starts behind in praying and giving. You can be the greatest prayer in the church, no matter who you are. And I hope you will strive to achieve that. We have recently been reminded of the power of God unleashed through prayer in the thousands of prayers lifted up on behalf of our grandson. I mean, God touched him in such a mighty miracle, and it was in part the prayers of the people that brought Graham back from the edge of death. So excel in prayer, would you? Be a person of prayer. Make it a goal in your life. If so, your life will be conformed to the Lord Jesus who prayed often and early and sometimes all night. And giving was the other spiritual discipline that Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, and he urged everybody to participate in. He assumed that they would all want to do so, to give of their money. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you can put your money where your mouth is by giving so that the kingdom might advance in the world of which you are a part. We put feet to our prayers often by stretching out our hands in giving. Our giving is intertwined with our prayer. And everybody in the church has the opportunity to be the greatest giver. Maybe you can't sing like Robert. Maybe you can't stand up and preach a sermon. But you can pray and you can give. And every single member of the body of Christ must practice these two disciplines. It was Jesus standing by the wall in the temple, watching the givers come to the great coffers there in the temple, who stopped the action, who called his disciples to attention and said to them, do you see that widow? Do you see her? Oh, the trumpets were blowing when other people gave. The coins were rattling in the coffers when other people gave. But Jesus saw the widow with her two little coins that she threw into the temple treasury and turned away, she thought, unnoticed. And Jesus said, she is given the most of them all. Everybody else gave out of their surplus, but this widow gave out of her need everything she had. You have an opportunity to be the greatest giver in the church and the greatest prayer in the church. And every single person in the body can practice these two spiritual disciplines. I challenge you to reach out your hand 
and be a person of generosity. As Jesus said, freely you have received. What? Freely give. Give, he said. This is Jesus now. And it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You've got to think of a bushel of wheat now. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? That's what Jesus said. Give and it shall be given unto you. The teachings of Jesus in giving, intertwined with prayer. Now, you have some things in your packet. You've got a worship guide, and there's some things in there, and I want you to notice them right now, okay? That long thing is a commitment card. On December 1st, we want you to bring that card to worship, okay? That's in three weeks, is it? And on December 1st, we're going to have our first global impact offering, our global missions offering. And we'll have uh, a chance for you to give the commitment as well as an offering that you'd like to make that day. We have given $87,000 to our international mission and our uh, home missions and our state missions and uh, all of the the percentages are here on the slide. When you give to the global impact offering, you're giving a special offering that goes to this special need. And this is how it is divided up. We used to take this up in three different offerings, three different emphases. We've combined them all into one. And we hope that you will, on a regular basis, give to missions with a special offering so that the gospel may go around the world. You also have an insert that shows the budget. We're going to vote on the budget in just a little bit. It's $2.1 million. It's summarized there in that insert. And uh, we've already discussed it and all that. That's one of the things we must do is support our budget that our church has. It also goes around the world. We give a percentage of that to world missions. But it is especially focused on the needs of this particular ministry. The global impact offering goes to foreign missions, domestic missions, and all those things that are mentioned. Thank you for giving so generously. And Robert, that song leads us directly into the going, the feet of Jesus. We've talked about the heart of Jesus at the Great Commission and the hands of Jesus at the Great Commission, and now the feet of Jesus. He did say, look at my hands and look at my feet. He invited them to see both as he proved that he was himself Jesus of Nazareth, and now the risen Lord of glory. Feet are so important. I've been praying that little Graham would get back on his feet. Before his accident, when he fell into the bucket and nearly drowned, he was pulling up. That's how he got in the bucket. And this morning I, I texted uh, Rachel and I said, uh, Rebecca, and I said, have you got a picture of Graham pulling up? And she sent me back this picture. Graham is on his feet, people. He has pulled up. This, just in the last few days, he started getting on his feet. So he has got all the motor skills he had before the accident, and he's pulling up now just about everywhere. It's important because you want to be able to get around. You want to be able to use your feet. You want to be able to walk. Jesus got everywhere by walking. I wonder what the feet of Jesus looked like, you know, going everywhere by foot, sometimes with sandals, maybe sometimes barefooted like the Papuans in New Guinea. They go everywhere barefooted in that very rugged country. 
where they never invented the wheel and they built no roads and you can only get to their villages, many of them, by flying in or by walking. Everywhere they go, they walk and they do not have any footwear. So when you see the foot of a native Papua and it's just big and thick and the toes are thick and, the, and it's just like leather, the sole is like leather. It's amazing what walking everywhere does to the feet. I wonder if Jesus' feet look like that. I know that they must have been strong and sturdy and he walked so many times that through the mud and the dust and they were often dirty with the travel that he accomplished. When he said to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He headed off down the road, and he expected them to be disciples in motion. They had to drop their nets. They had to get out of that boat. They had to take off because Jesus was on his way somewhere, and if they didn't go after him, he was leaving them behind. Jesus was going somewhere. He was an itinerant preacher. And when he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, he intended for us to put one foot in front of the other and follow him. And even though we have all these different modes of transportation and we have great protective footwear now, thank the Lord, I'm glad for shoes. You know? We still walk, don't we? We walk when we get to school. We walk when we get to work. In fact, we walk a lot of places. It's such a blessing, a wonderful gift from the Lord to be able to walk. And he says to his disciples, and he assumes they're going to do it, go into all the world. Go with your feet. Go to people in need. Get up and go. Jesus was so ready to go. We went out to eat in Chalmette at Rocky and Carlo's uh, Friday with some of the adults. We took about 30 adults down there. I don't know if you've ever been there, you know, baked macaroni and all that stuff. It was delicious food. On the way there, we passed by a church called the Church of Prompt Sucker. You ever heard of it? There was somebody on the bus I think it was Jenny Hennigan who had gone to school there. And I asked Jenny as we passed by the church, I said, did you know as a child what prompt sucker meant? And she said, no. There's another native Shalmatian in the bus. And I said, Diane, did you know what prompt sucker meant? And she said, no, I didn't know what it meant. You know what prompt sucker means, don't you? Fast help. Quick aid. Immediate support. That's who God is. Jesus is to us the aid that is on its way as soon as we need him. The moment we are in trouble, the moment we are hurting, the moment our hearts are broken, he is prompt in his response. He comes to our aid immediately. He is ready to come. And when he calls his disciples to go into the world, to carry the message of the gospel in word and deed, he intends that we too will be prompt in what we do. That we will go quickly and immediately. That we will respond to the need of the neighbor and the friend and the family. And that we will be there to help. It's what he does for us. It's what he calls us to do for others. In this community, so many needs. And God is using the body to touch many of them. Today we have um, 11 opportunities, 11 different ways that you can be a part of meeting the needs throughout our community. We want to be intentional with our prayers. We want to be intentional with our giving, and we want to be intentional with our going. And so today is intended to highlight and give you an opportunity 
to, to meet needs, to help us as a church reach out to those around us to show the love of Christ. So we have 11 different stations, 11 different opportunities um, for you to uh, get involved, get engaged, and a lot, some of them are related to our Care Effect Ministries, although not all of them. Um, some of them is are tasks, things we just need done to help ministries keep rolling, and so you'll pick up some supplies, take home, do a little project for us, and bring it back. Others are helping you helping us give gifts to those around us so that we can show the love of Christ and interact with people and show them that we care. So I, I hope that you can see the signs that line each uh, side of the sanctuary. And if you're sitting in one of these front sections, please know that um, in the transverse aisle, we have a couple of different opportunities. Starting over here, an opportunity to help Global Maritime Ministries. Right here is an opportunity for you to create a care pack uh, for the homeless that you would actually keep with you and give out as you encounter um, the homeless throughout our city. And then over here we have uh, an opportunity for you to help inward as they do ministry on Bourbon Street. So in just a moment, uh, Robert and the band um, are going to play, and we are actually going to get up from our seats. And we want you to, to move about the room, select a ministry, select a project that you want to help us do, and all these individuals as a church are going to end up making a great impact. So you're going to find a station, grab the supplies. At every station, there's a, a card that gives you instructions. So at most of the stations, you're going to grab a bag and you're going to grab a card. At a few of the stations, there's a couple other things, so pay attention um, to, what, to what you're kind of looking at. Up here we have um, foster care three-day bags, and over here we have a way for us to, to love on teachers at John Dybert Community School. So once you kind of make your selection, go ahead and um, make your way back uh, to your seat, and we'll, we'll wrap up after that. Show me the treasures of thee. 